Our scripture today comes from the book of Job. This is part of our sermon series on women from the Old Testament. So if you have your bulletins, make sure right after the scripture reading, we do sing a a refrain that we'll sing throughout this sermon series. So keep that handy. Let us pray. God, send your spirit upon us uh, that we might receive with wisdom and hear with joy what you are saying to your church this day through your holy word. In Christ we pray. Amen. Because we're starting partway through chapter 1, let me give you a brief summary of chapter 1. Here we go. After Job had learned that he had lost almost all of his livestock and property and his ten children through unexpected calamity and violence, Scripture says, Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrongdoing. One day, heavenly beings came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to the accuser, where have you come from? And the accuser answered the Lord, from going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to him, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still persists in his integrity. Although you incited me against him to destroy him for no reason. Then the accuser answered the Lord, skin for skin, all that that man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to the accuser, very well, he is in your power, only spare his life. So the accuser went out from the presence of the Lord and inflicted the loathsome sores on Job from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And Job took a potsherd with which to scrape himself, and he sat among the ashes. And then his wife said to him, Do you still persist in your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as any foolish woman would speak. Shall we receive good from God and not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
This morning, we are continuing our sermon series for the month of July, inspired by women of the Old Testament, women whose stories reveal to us much about our human story, but much more so about who God is. The gift that these women give to each of us is a bit of revelation into God's character and God's identity. The woman we are focusing on today has no name. She is known only as Job's wife. What do we know of her? Pretty much nothing. The scripture says that Job had 10 children and we can only assume that she is the mother of these children and that she experienced as much loss as Job himself did, except for the loss of her health. We don't get to hear all that much from her. She's allotted only two sentences in this passage. In fact, these two sentences are all we hear from her in the entire book of Job, all 42 chapters. There are four other characters in this book whose scripts contain a whole lot more dialogue than she is given. There is Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, Zophar the Naamathite, and Elihu ben Barachel, all who met together to go and console and comfort Job in his suffering, which was very great. We already know more about these four men than Job's nameless wife. We're told where they come from and what tribe of people they stem from or whose ancestors theirs were. Each of these guys gets at least two whole chapters, some of them three chapters of wise counsel with Job and sometimes lengthy chiding which basically boils down to this. Gee, Job, you know that God is righteous and is good to those who are blameless. Surely you must have done something wrong to deserve this punishment. Come on now, admit it. Just tell God that you're sorry. Clean up your act and God will forgive you and restore your life. Come on, Job, it's, it's a pretty easy formula. Just confess your wrongdoing, change your ways, and it'll all be okay. Job answers each one with a long poetic treatise that boils down to, I will stand in my integrity. If this is how God sees fit to treat me, then so be it. I wish God would relent, but I've done nothing wrong. Seriously, God is who God is. God stands in God's own integrity. I wish I could say that you all are righteous in your words, but I will not put aside my conviction. I've done nothing wrong. God will do what God will do. Long discourses for the men in this story. Short, pithy jibes from the woman. Job's wife has not been treated well in history. Some critics have said that she was a faithless woman who thought belief in God was foolish. Other commentators portray her as an unsupportive and insensitive wife who lacked the patience to comfort Job in his misery. Saint Augustine, the fourth century theologian and preacher, described her as the assistant of Satan. Now, if you noticed in the translation I read, Satan was called the accuser. That's what he is, the accuser. The accuser because she told Job to just give up. Some commentators have compared her to Eve, the primordial mother of us all, because both women 
tempted their pious husbands to do evil things. All this commentary reads a lot more into the text than there is there, because quite frankly, there is so little that one needs to read something into the text to understand Mrs. Job's role and why we would lift her up in this sermon series on women of the Old Testament. Although she says very little, what she does say captures our imagination. And for centuries, she's been made into a villainess as heartless and heinous as Cruella DeVille. Curse God and die, she tells Job. And for this, she is remembered. And I'll tell you a little secret, she doesn't actually say that. She says, bless God and die. But every biblical translator for the last 2,000 years is pretty sure that's not what she meant. Because it would have been too scandalous to put the words curse and God so close together. We hear from her mouth, bless God and die. It's a euphemism. She's being a little sarcastic. It's like some folks who say, bless your heart, when that's the last thing that they mean. A retired Lutheran minister friend of mine I've known for 40 years said to me just last week when I told him that I was preaching on Job, he says, oh, she has my favorite line in the whole Bible. And what he meant was, curse God and die. And I said, well, why is this, what, why is that? And he says, well, at least she's being honest. I think it's the most important thing said in scripture. She's in deep pain. She hates seeing her husband this way. And, and I think she's saying, there's a quick way out of all this suffering. Just end it all. I've already endured so much. I can't stand this anymore to see you like this. Where has all your righteous living gotten you? Just end it all. My friend said, I have great empathy for her, actually. And... Hearing this, he helped me to take a deeper look at Mrs. Job and her importance for our faith life. A lot of attention was focused on this little phrase, bless, curse God, and die, so much so that it draws our attention away from the really interesting and impactful and meaningful thing that Mrs. Job says. Are you still continuing in your integrity? Now there's a question for the ages. What she actually says, because she speaks Hebrew, she says, are you still holding fast to your tumah? Tumah? That's part of the name of the sermon here. Because she spoke Hebrew, and she used this action-packed word. Tumah can mean a lot of things, and it's hard to capture in one English word all of its meaning. And I've checked all the translations for the last 600 years in English, about, thereabout. And long ago, 600 years ago, when the Bible was translated in English, these translators had struggled with this word to capture it in one way. And so what they did was they said, dwellest thou in thy simpleness, that is, the, thy fondness? Remaineth thou yet in thy foolishness, that is, in thy integrity? My word, simpleness, fondness, integrity, fullness, foolishness, translators couldn't make up their minds. Another word for tumma is innocence or piety. As if Mrs. Job were asking, 
are you going to keep on keeping on in your naive, pride-filled, pious pretense of innocence? You're a fool. That could be one way to understand her question. By bringing tumma, or integrity, into the conversation, Job's wife sets the stage for the whole book of Job, all 42 chapters. Human integrity is called into question, surely, but ultimately it is God's integrity that is called upon to answer for the human condition of pain and suffering, grief, loss, and sickness unto death. More than being remembered for saying, just give up on life and renounce any sense that your God cares for you, Job's wife should really be remembered for naming the elephant in the room. This whole human drama is about tumma, integrity, or doing the right thing when no one is watching. This is what I read just before I started writing this sermon. The all-knowing mind of the internet set me up for this. I was just going to check out Facebook for just for a second before I started to write. And this was the first meme that came in through my feed. Integrity. Doing the right thing even when no one is watching. How is it that the internet knew I was just about to write a sermon on integrity? How did it know that I was perhaps procrastinating even just a little and it put that meme before my eyes with an accompanying picture of a typewriter, as if to say, you should be writing your sermon now. Integrity means that even though you might think no one is watching, the internet sees all. <laughs> better get typing, better get going on that doing the right thing even though no one is watching. So that's what I did. Doing the right thing, I hope, by writing this sermon. And although I had the seeking suspicion that somebody was watching. So let's talk about integrity. When the word enters the English language, it carries all these senses. Innocence, blamelessness, chastity and purity, soundness, wholeness, completeness, correctness, being untainted and upright, being of sound and moral principle and character, and literally meaning untouched or intact. That's a lot of weight for one word to carry. But it's the kind of weight, however, that is needed to make sense of the question that Job's wife asks him, how Job responds, and how we are to understand the character and the nature of God. You see, the entire book is about integrity. And not so much Job's integrity, though that's part of the story, but ultimately the book of Job is about God's integrity, about God's essential character in dealing with us human beings and the whole created order. 63 years ago, a woman named Helen Joy Davidson died. Do you know who she was? Who she was and why her death matters, it's because she was the wife of a noted Christian author, C.S. Lewis. And even though they had been married only for four years, her death impacted Lewis deeply. And during the weeks and months after his passing, Lewis kept a journal about all his thoughts. Sometimes his angry thoughts, his confused thoughts, 
And it was published, that journal was published as a book called A Grief Observed. And in, in its published form, the book became a very public account of Lewis's wrestling with the question of suffering and how people try to figure out how God could let tragedies happen. At one point, Lewis, longing to connect, to interact one more time with his beloved, he writes, I know this is impossible. I know that the thing I want is exactly the thing I could never get. The old life, the jokes, the drinks, the arguments, the tiny, breathtaking, commonplace things. On any view whatsoever, to say that Helen is dead is to say all that is gone. It is a part of the past, and the past is past, and that is what time means, and time itself is one more name for death, and heaven itself is a state where the former things have passed away. Talk to me about the truth of religion, and I'll listen gladly, he says. Talk to me about the duty of religion, and I'll listen submissively. But don't come talking to me about the consolations of religion, or I shall suspect that you don't understand. Lewis is saying, I've, I've got all this head knowledge of religion that I could want. I know how to respond dutifully and righteously to the God I know intellectually. But don't come talking to me about comfort. I will not be consoled. I've got a lot of questions for God. Where is God, he says. Go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is in vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face. Whew. He sounds a lot like Job's wife. Grief and suffering had closed him off to the God, not only of the universe, but the God of human hearts. Because his heart was hurting and he was questioning God's integrity, perhaps we would too. It's then that we need someone like Job's wife to step in and say the most impactful thing, like a slap across the face. Are you going to continue in your religiosity or are you going to face what's really going on? Are you going to face God? And by the way, maybe it's time we stop calling her Job's wife or Mrs. Job. Let's give her a name. How about a good Hebrew name like Hokmah? It's the Hebrew word for wisdom. Or better yet, let's call her Sophia. Yes, <laughs> that's the Greek word for wisdom as well. And let's think of her kind of like Dorothy's Bornack's mother on Golden Girls, Sophia Petrillo, who has all those great one-liners in that show. Here's one for you. No matter how bad things get, remember these sage words. You're old, you sag, get over it. <laughs> we all need a Sophia, a straight shooter who says the most obvious thing. No couching of words. Now that same Lutheran minister I mentioned earlier, my friend of 40 years, the one who thinks that curse God and die is the most honest thing in scripture. He told me another story too. He said that when he retired from ministry a couple of years ago, he got really depressed. He didn't know who he was, he lost his identity, and he started drinking. 
Or it's better said that he returned to drinking because he had been in recovery for 25 years. And one night he got so drunk he found himself surrendering his car keys to a police officer just having vomited in an alleyway behind a bar. And when the policeman dropped him off at home, his wife sat him down and said, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do? It's as if, it's as if she were saying, you make a choice here and now. You don't have time to wallow in self-pity or self-righteous excuses. Either you're going to continue on this path, playing the victim of life's circumstances, or you're going to use all the tools that you've gained uh, over the years. You're going to use all the advice given, you've given everyone else for the last 30 years of ministry, and you're going to get your life in shape. You choose. What are you going to do? Well, he got himself in shape. He got himself back in track, going to 12-step work. He surrendered to his higher power, and he has lived to this day to sing a new song, a song to the God who loves him no matter what, the God who holds him to his integrity, his essential being. My friend needed his missus to be a Mrs. Job. A Sophia, a wise woman who cuts to the quick. What are you going to do now? So let's revisit our scripture just a little bit here. And let's reorder things a little. Imagine if Job's Sophia comes to him, sitting on the ash heap, grieving and sick unto death. What are you going to do now? Are you going to curse God and die? Just pack it all in and give up? Are you going to bless God and play the victim, saying, well, surely this must be God's will? Don't play, don't play pious with me, and don't play pious with God. What are you going to do? Are you going to continue in your integrity? Are you going to drill deep down into the resources you have and ask God your tough questions? Are you going to continue in your naive, pride-filled, pious pretense of innocence, if so, you're a fool. Dig deeper, deeper into that trust that you've had in your God this far in your life. And if you find your own integrity lacking, give up on that and lean into God's integrity, God's tumult of tumah. The God who made heaven and earth, all things seen and unseen, surely knows what is happening here. God knows, God sees, God hears, and God restores. You don't have the luxury of doing the right thing even though no one is watching, Job, because everyone is watching. For thousands of years to come, everyone will be watching you, Job, to do the right thing, not because God is watching but because your soul needs you to do the right thing. You are alive. Don't blame God for all of this. The author of the universe may have set those divine eyes on you. Yes, and those eyes are of divine love. Lift up your head. Look God in the face and live. It's all about integrity your essential character and God's essential character. Find something to be grateful for in every circumstance and let go into God. Bless God and live.
Bless God and live, bless God and live, so says Sophia. God's holy wisdom. What are you going to do now? Bless God and live. Amen.